are back for another edition of the Big Red Louie podcast. My name is Presley Meyer. I'll be your host for the evening. Alongside me, I have Dalton Pinch returning for the second time in the last couple of weeks. Additionally, I have a uh, longtime uh, friend of the show back on with us, DJ Bianame. How are you doing, man? Doing all right. You know, trying not to uh, drown in this uh, quarantine. So. I feel it, man. Yeah, so for, for people that are listening that don't know, DJ is actually in New York City, so um, keep your thoughts out for DJ. I know he's been pretty much quarantined, confined to his, his home for the most part. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to just get right to it. We want to talk a little bit about Louisville football today um, from two guys that know a lot about um, the inner workings um, of, if not the Louisville football program, what it's like day in and day out. Um, first thing I want to talk about kind of more broad spectrum was – some of these lists that a lot of these sites have been coming out with recently, um, the one that I, I think got our attention this past week um, was from Barton Simmons, a guy who we've actually had on the podcast before um, from 247 Sports. He came out with his ranking um, of the top 25 college football coaches. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to look at it. Um, I know Dalton hasn't gotten a chance. I know we're going to go over a little bit of, of the athletic rankings from uh, a couple months ago. Um, but have you guys got a chance to look at all of, at um, Barton Simmons rankings um, of the current the current coaches in college football? Oh yeah, uh, you said Brad uh, Crawford, correct? No, uh, it was it was Barton Simmons is who did it for uh, did it twenty four seven sports with two four seven sports. Um, I, I know a number of people have come out, um, but but I guess I was trying to gauge your all's opinion on kind of what the landscape of college football looks like right now and how people are kind of perceiving where Scott Satterfield falls among um, some of the top 25 lists. Um, I know um, it's kind of free and for everybody to look at from 247 Sports. um, And Barton Simmons actually had Louisville, or Scott Satterfield um, at, at 17th. Um, on his current list as far as where um, as far as where coaches stand and where Satterfield stands on that list does that kind of surprise you guys at all that he's even in the top 25 not at all I mean I I think the national perception for Scott Satterfield is you know a lot of people believe that you know he's one of the up-and-coming coaches Um, it's almost like a not if but when he gets you know a big name job is kind of you know the mantra going around um I think, you know, the respect has come from him being able to turn Appalachian State from a FCS program to a, you know, a 10-2 and bowl team, to turn Louisville from a 2-win team into a 8-5 and bowl team. So I think the respect for Satterfield is there. I like the 17th ranking. Um, you know, everybody in front of him, I can, you could really make a case to go in front of him, maybe except for like Mike Gundy from Oklahoma State. Not really big on that one. But right. um, for him to really rise up the list, you know, it's it's going to get harder and harder, but he has to show that he can sustain the level of success at Louisville. I know we talked about last podcast press how, uh, you know, Louisville got a lot of, you know, the good bounces this past season. They won a lot of close games. Is Louisville going to be able to maintain that level of success will really kind of dictate and, you know, measure how far Satterfield goes up the list. What about you, DJ? Um, I, he's, he's for sure a top 25 coach. I mean, again, backing off of what Dalton said, just being able to turn Louisville from a two and ten team to um, an eight win team within one year—that's pretty impressive. I mean, he reminds me a little bit of uh, Matt Rule from the former Matt Rule at uh, Baylor. He reminds I like me that. of that being mm-hmm. able to completely change a whole entire uh, organization. Um, he's, he's a little bit kind of high for my for my you know for my taste because it's one year, you know, uh, at, at Louisville. Um, because we've seen plenty of coaches, you know, um, excel at the lower level schools, have one year of success at a power five, and then fall off a cliff, or you know, just keep that same level. Um, I mean, some of the names that he's ahead of, like he's ahead of John Harbaugh. I don't really agree with that. And on this list, uh, he's ahead of David Shaw. Don't really agree with that. Um, I mean, so you know, I mean, he's ahead of Gary Patterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, so those are and on that list. So those are some names. I'm like, eh, I wouldn't put them. I don't. I, I'm always quick to make sure we don't crown people too early because when you crown people early, you know they could fall off, and then it's like, 
Well, you should have right. seen that coming. I mean, it could have been a one-year fluke, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, right. he, he's for sure a top 25 coach. I don't know. I saw one list that had him, top, like, 10th. And it's right. like uh, That's too rich for me. It's like you're pushing it. 10th is – if you're the 10th best coach in college football, that means this upcoming year you should be in the playoff contention, period, mm. if you're a top 10 coach, period, point blank, no ifs, ands, or buts. So, um, I don't – I don't know if he's that high yet, but he's for sure top 25. Dalton, that's why I want to get your perspective on this a little bit. So I know you haven't seen the athletic article that was published back in, in early March, um, but Bruce Feldman has been a guy that's been really high on, on Satterfield in particular. reason I stumbled across this in the first place was because um, a couple of weeks ago, the athletic guys actually kind of did a draft of, of what coaches are going to be the most successful um, over the course of the next five to ten years. Um, so they, they did it from the perspective of if we're going to draft um, coaches based on, upon their potential future success, um, who are we going to take? And they have, I believe they had five or six guys going around the horn and, and drafting like you would a fantasy draft. Um, and, and Feldman actually took Satterfield with his second pick at no, number 12. Um, and then that led me to kind of go down a rabbit hole, see what Feldman thought about, about Satterfield coming in. Um, what his background was like a little bit. And that's where I, I found the other list from The Athletic um, where he previously ranked Satterfield number 10 uh, on, on the heels of this past season. Right. Um, so I, I, thought, I thought that was um, pretty thought-provoking, at, to, at least. Um, the, the top 10, according to Feldman, were Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, uh, James Franklin, Ed Ordron, Lincoln Riley, Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart, Brian Kelly, Kyle Winningham, and then he had Satterfield 10. He had Satterfield in front of Gary Patterson. He had him in front of Mike Leach. Um, he had him in front of Dan Mullen. He had him in front of P.J. Fleck, Matt Campbell, David Shaw, Jim Harbaugh. Um, all these got all these big-name coaches for these massive programs. He, had, he, he thought that Satterfield um, was better than those guys. Um, and here's what he had to say. He said Satterfield went... 40 and 11 in his last four seasons at Appalachian State. He's pulling off a remarkable turnaround at Louisville, taking over a program that in the final season under Vitrino won two games and lost by an average of 30 points. Satterfield injected all sorts of pos positivity into his new players in 2019, and Louisville and the Cards went 8 and 5 and won the Music City Bowl. At his alma mater, he became the first head coach to lead a school from the F FCS level to FBS and immediately produced three consecutive bowl wins. Uh, so, I mean, all of that speaks volumes to, to what Louisville has. Um, in place, um, but to me, I personally feel like it's a it's a bit um, a bit too early. I, I think that Satterfield, I, I would comfortably put him in the top twenty five, but as a top ten yeah. coach, that's that's uh, I think that's a little preemptive. Yeah, so that's it. I mean, Scott hasn't won a BCS ball game. Granted, I think he eventually will. Whether it's at mm -hmm. Louisville or somewhere or somewhere else, he eventually mm -hmm. will. Um, he's that good of a coach, but I mean. If we just go down the list of teams that they, they that they beat last year, two of their wins came against. Well, we played Eastern Kentucky, beat them. Played uh, WKU, beat them. So those those are two wins out of the eight. You know what I'm saying? Then I mean, we we beat. You know, as Dalton said, we had a lot of bounces go Louisville's way. Virginia, it's a bounce that went our way. You know what I'm saying? We played uh, re rebuilding NC State and rebuilding Syracuse team. You know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, but then again, we did have a bounce go the opposite way with FSU. But, you know, and then Wake Forest, we, we pulled off that upset. And the same thing with Boston College. Like, we had a bunch of bounces go Louisville's way, you know. So, it goes right. back to um, back what Don said. Like, to put him in the top ten is like, all right, uh, that's kind of, as you're saying, premature in uh, my humble estimation. Yeah. Um, you know, w when I think of um... – when I think of that list that you just brought up, I mean, I can see what the the case that's being made, especially if you're like you're taking it for the future and you you know you're banking on Satterfield being a stud in the future, which I think he will be. I think you know Louisville is going to be a stepping stone for him, and you know that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, to be in that ten to twelve range is definitely rich. I just don't see him. I don't see him be better than. Dan Mullen for sure. I think you know a lot of guys have better pedigrees on the on the docket. Um, you know, you look at a couple names that are really kind of in that smorgasbord of the area. You got uh, Jim Harbaugh is one of those stories. You really have to gauge. You know, 
how much does his kind of flopping at Michigan really dictate where he is on the list? And uh, other names like that. Matt Campbell's another name from Iowa State. Uh, but you, you look at Satterfield, and I do agree that, you know, he's been very successful in his past four seasons. But like DJ said, we, you have to have a bigger body of work, especially with, you know, the Louisville season last year, because let's be honest, they, the injury bug didn't really hurt them all that much significantly throughout the season. They got a lot of good bounces, you know, Virginia, uh, Wake Forest, if it wasn't for an onside kick, that who knows if that was even legal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there, there's a couple games that really make you scratch your head and like think, okay, if you were to play this game the exact way, the exact same tomorrow, would the end result still be the same? And I'm not really sure if you could say that. So I, I like Satterfield in the top 20. Um, you might be able to make it top 15. You know, I, I don't think, um, you know, when I look at a guy like Mark Stoops, uh, no bias here, but, um, you know, I would put Satterfield up against Stoops. But I, I do agree that the body of work has to come into play as a factor in this in the making these lists. So, you know, 12 is just a little rich for me, right now at least. Yeah, I mean, I mean go okay. ahead, DJ. Okay, well, this year, I mean, he's going to have a chance to, you know, I guess put a stamp on this season. Oh, he will, for sure. Because this, I mean, the schedule, is it is what it is. The NC State at home, Murray State, WKU. Let's just be honest. Going into the uh, Courier Dome, October third, obviously, withstanding we have a season, they're going to probably be three and one going into that game. They're going to have two tough games back to back against Syracuse and Boston College. But there's a good chance coming off the bye, home against Florida State, they'll be five and. Wait, is that five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll be. They'll be. Uh, I think they will five, be. Yeah, they'll be five and one, ready to play Florida State, possibly with a chance to go seven and one, and then maybe even eight and one. I know I was getting kind of ahead of ourselves, but. Like, I mean, he's going to have a chance to really stamp himself as a top 15, maybe top 10 coach. Because I think, honestly, they'll have a chance to win close to 10 games, in my honest opinion. Yeah, the, the main games that you have to look at, and I think really will gauge the season. Because, I, you know, a, as tough as, you know, road games at the Carrier Dome and up in Boston are going to be, Boston College loses A.J. Dillon and a lot of guys on that offense. I, I'm not really, you know, I don't think, you know, Steve Adazio, it was out of Boston. I don't really think that um, they're going to be too big of a threat. But like you said, any any game on the road in the ACC could pose a threat. Um, at Virginia kind of scares me a little. Not really because Virginia is going to be that great because they do lose, you know, Bryce Perkins and company. But if you look at the past three times we played him in the ACC on the road, uh, we won two of those games. Or one of those games, I'm sorry. And the win came with Lamar Jackson, you know, throwing a prayer to Jalen Smith in the end zone. We've yeah. lost twice there in our three seasons, or in, our, in the three times that we played in Charlottesville. So there are a couple of trip-up games. Assuming that Louisville takes care of business against teams that we're supposed to, there's two games that I look at that are going to gauge, or really three, because you know the game game's going to be winnable. But Kentucky and Virginia Tech are going to be two games that are really going to show, you know, how much progress has this Louisville team made. And, how, you know, in turn, it's really going to say, well, really define where Scott Satterfield should be on that pecking order yeah and we we talked about this a lot last week Dalton but I I think that the storyline of this season that nobody's really talking about is the way that things just fell into place for Louisville last year I think that all the bad juju that they had in 2018 under Petrino that was completely rectified it it made it completely worth the wait in 2019 to see um, how things were turned around but a, a lot of that just had to do with um, with, with Louisville just getting bounces that went their way. There are a lot of quarterbacks that uh, on, on opposing teams that went out to injury during the game. Um, there was there were just a lot of weird, crazy things that happened. You mentioned the onside kick at Wake Forest. Um, <laughs> the, there, the illegal onside kick against Wake Forest. Yeah, the, there, there's just all kinds of just nonsense, basically, that, that happened last year. That If a lot of those things don't fall into place, we could be talking about a team that went 6-6, six 6-7, and six, six and seven, something like that. And all of a sudden, now we're talking about eight and four team. And you mentioned this last week, and I wholeheartedly agree. Louisville could go eight and five this year and be significantly better. Um, there, there's just the the way that things fall into place. Uh, so, sometimes that's just how that's how it rolls. That's how it goes. But I, yeah, I think you have, that, road, you have road games at Clemson and, and Notre Dame, and um, you know it, it's going to be hard to win double digit games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and like you said. 
Virginia Tech, as a cross-conference, uh, cross-division game, um, you're looking at potentially having, you know, the, the ACC Atlantic's always a crapshoot, but there's potential for you to be playing Virginia and Virginia Tech, who could potentially be uh, one and two in, in, in the Atlantic, uh, depending on how things go with Miami. Um, but but there, there's there's a lot there's a lot of things that fell Louisville's way last season that it's it's going to take more than just luck for them to to um, be better than eight wins again this year. Right. Something that something else that I wanted to turn our attention to a little bit more. Um, is kind of the storyline of of the development of players under Satterfield. Um, obviously, we saw last year there were a, a ton of breakout players um, that nobody could have possibly anticipated um, having the seasons that they did. Um, going into this season, in my opinion, I think talking with Jacob a little bit too today, um, in, in his opinion as well, I think that Mikhail Cunningham is the most important player returning this season. Um, I, I think there there could be differing opinions on that, but outside of Cunningham, if we were to say that that he is the clear cut uh, number one uh, most important player on, on the team, who else do you guys see as being somebody who who you know when it comes down to it, it is going to be crucial for Louisville to continue to have success in 2020? Go ahead, Don. Um, yeah, you know, when we talk, I think, you know, we talked a lot about last time was um, the, the ceiling of Louisville's offense depends on Mikael Cunningham. And I think, you know, him progressing as a, uh, you know, a more versatile passer. I think, you know, he, he does good for, you know, what his niche was last year. We were a run heavy offense with him really dominating the, uh, the under routes in the middle of the field. Uh, very consistent when given a lot of time to be able to throw in the pocket. And I think the offensive line is going to be better in a nutshell. I think one player that I look at that's also going to be an X factor, and it's hard to because, you know, when you look at why this offense is going to be so potent next year, it's because we have so many guys, you know, coming back. Tutu Atwell is a guy that comes to mind, but I'm going with Javian Hawkins. I mean, he really busted on the scene last year, over 1,500 yards on the ground. I think he's going to be one of the best running backs in the nation this year, pound for pound, I think. But, um, when it comes to the, you know, the continuation of how successful the offense is, we have to have, you know, that honest threat on the ground. JV and Hawkins is still going to need to churn the yards out and be able to be that home run threat that he was last year. So for me, I think it's a no brainer. I think Hawkins is the guy that, you know, really is, holds the key outside of Cunningham to unlocking the offense, because if he opens up the run game on with Hassan Hall, I mean, you, you got to think, you know, that bears a lot of fruit for two, two, um, Despots, Patrick, Justin Marshall, and just going down the line. Yeah, I agree. I, I would go with uh, Hawkins because you know a quarterback's best friend is not a is not a top receiver. It's a running game. Uh, every offense <laughs> football this past year that was elite uh, had both passing and running, and the quarterbacks could you know obviously run on the ground a little bit also. Um, and what Hawkins brings, he's a guy that you can get the ball to thirty times. You know, throw a couple of passes out of the backfield. He can still do what he does. Um, like his impact is is so great. Granted, we know that this team can only go as far as Malik takes them. Um, because we want to win ten games, it's gonna be on the back of Malik at the end of the day. But um, the next factor, a great X factor, is gonna be Hawkins because I mean, you just can't find fifteen hundred yards laying around. You know, right. you know. Um, I do want to see who's gonna uh, step in at that left tackle spot and uh, replace Makai. Um. That's also an interesting factor because they were able to run to the left side of the field with great success because, you know, you have Makai just steamrolling people, making people look like little children, you know. But, <laughs> then, um, but you know, outside of that, um, Hawkins, he opens up so much for Malik. Because, I mean, I mean, just being honest, Malik isn't, like, the most gifted thrower. He, he could throw he's it. He's not. But he's not the most gifted thrower. He doesn't fling it like the way Lamar can. He's still developing in that. So the more we can run the ball – and open up the offense. Um, that'll allow Malik to be able to find open receivers. And you know, uh, you know, we got excellent receivers. <laughs> we got Tutu, Dez, and get the ball in their hands, and then they can make plays happen. Is there a defensive player that comes to mind for you guys? I know all, we talk a lot about this offense and uh, what's coming back, but is there somebody, is, is there a player on defense where you felt like maybe they underperformed a little bit last year or we didn't see what their full potential could be? There's got to be the guy in the middle. I'm going to go with Dory Netheridge. I thought, you know, he had a very productive freshman season for a not-so-productive defense. He was one of the bright lights on that, 
you know, that defense. But, um, uh, you know, last year was just kind of kind of got lost, and it looked like it was more of a scheme issue, him just being out of place and not really understanding, you know, what Brian Brown was trying to run. And it seemed like that was a lot of, you know, the defensive guys, just because, you know, for a, a whole season prior, there was little to no instruction. And even if it was instruction, it wasn't good instruction because, you know, Brian Van Gorder was one of the worst defensive coordinators for a season for all time. I mean, we had a historically bad defense. I think, you know, having a, a player coach on the field uh, really will do volumes for this team. Having a guy in the middle like Dorian Etheridge, I think, you know, the middle linebacker, linebacking core really is the catalyst for a team defense just because, you know, the communication runs through them. You know, he's calling the shots. He's relaying the messages and stuff like that, and he's calling out the reads. I think a lot of it's going to be on Etheridge. I want to see him kind of be like in a Keith Kelsey role. You know, Kelsey never really panned out in the NFL, but the college ranks, it seems like he was all over the place, always involved in the play, and I'd really like to see Dorian Etheridge kind of fill into that same suit. Uh, for me, I think as long as uh, the defense just continues to progress, um, I think, like, as a whole, they just got to continue to progress. I mean, um, coming off of 2018, I mean, again, they're one of the worst defenses in all of Power 5 history. Um, so, and again, as Don said, Dorian, Dorian was one of the bright spots on the defense. I just wanted to see them continue to progress because they kept they gave up a lot of points. The only way this team is going to be able to reach the level they need to reach is that the defense can continue to cut off more and more points. Because giving up 28 points a game, it's going to be able to win against. It's going to be able to win some games at home, but eventually some road games. That's not. That's just not going to get it done because you know there's going to be a game when your offense starts off slow. But if you're down 14, now the run game is basically almost non-existent. You know what I'm saying? And now you got to throw the ball the whole game. And I know that's not what Scott wants to do. Scott wants to be able to consistently run the ball throughout the game, shorten the game, keep the defense off the field as much as possible. Um, so I, I just want the defense to continue to progress. Um, as long as Russ Yeast continues to develop, as long as RJ uh, I mean, uh, Burns continues to uh, develop, CJ continues to develop, that's more where I'm looking at. I'm looking for more as a group standpoint. But I'm just going to be honest. Like, nobody right. on defense truly, like, stood out. Like, the leading sack leader was Monte Montgomery with five. Um, the leading the TFL guy was Burns. Uh, and then after that was uh, Dorian. I mean, we only forced... Let me see. I think that's about like seven interceptions as the entire team. So that that's just a few things that I want to, to see them do: create more turnovers, get more pressure, and that's when this defense can really take another step. I don't really think it's just one player. I think it's more an entire infrastructure right. defense um, taking a whole step together for it. And now that they have a defense coordinator for the first time in back-to-back years in God knows how long, maybe we can start to continue to see that. And that's a perfect segue, DJ, because that's that's kind of what I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about. As far as you were somebody who spent a little bit of time on the field in college football, you were you were a college athlete running track at University of Louisville. So regardless of, of what sport it is, um, yeah. I, I'm a person. I personally believe that coaching continuity. If you have the same guys um, and the, the same the same coaches meeting with personnel, um, you know, over the summer and having that transition from year one to year two, I think that's crucial for, for a lot of these players um, to have that coaching continuity. And it's something that nobody on this roster has had for their entire career. Um, can you speak at all to to how important it could be to have these coaches, uh, the same coaches coming in for year two? Oh, I, I completely agree. I mean, my, my junior year, when I transferred in from a junior college, um, like me and Coach Johnson, we didn't really we, we had a relationship, but like it, it was it was whatever. Like I went to practice, like yeah, I talked to him, et cetera, like try to figure out how to get better. But I you know, like I was still learning the ins and outs of what he wants and he was still learning how to get the best out of me. So that second year came around, we was on the same page. I knew exactly how practice was gonna go. I knew the rest in between the rest in between reps, I knew how many you like how hard practice was going to be. I knew everything in like the back of my hand because we had built that continuity. I knew exactly what to expect from him. He knew exactly what to expect from me. I knew when I wasn't giving my best, I knew how he was going to react on that. Like the continuity thing is, is gigantic because it only helps further your development. And the fact that this, this roster is going to be able to be under the same coaching staff defensively for the second year in a row with the same people, the same people they know they can count on and talk to and ask questions to. Because you remember – there was a report that came out that 
most of the players didn't even have the coaches, the coaching staff's number. They didn't even have Bobby's number, et cetera. So now, that's not like a couple of pairs. Now they're going to be able to, hey, coach, I got this question. You know, like, how, how can you help me do this? Uh, I remember when we they had media day in 2018, you know, 2018, and I went and I asked um, D. Smith, I said, so what's the difference between this defense and, and last year's defense? He said, you know, it, it's more simple. Um, we run a lot of more cover four, et cetera, et cetera. And when he told me that it was more simple, I was like, why would you want it to be more simple? Wouldn't that be easier for an offense to dissect if it's just simple? We know exactly what, what coverage you're going right. to get, et cetera, et cetera. So um, just speaking on to that, just being able to have a coach that you can grow with, because that's one thing I did realize in my college career, going from junior college, even back to high school, that – if you're in a system and you let that system grow, like develop you, you'll be even better for it. Because only a few, like 1% of athletes aren't system players. Everybody else is part of the system. It's only a few times you meet a Usain Bolt, you meet a Randy Moss, you meet a LeBron James. Most people are part of a system and need and they need that development. You know, so that that that's how uh I view the continuity. Yeah, and and just to speak to that a little bit more, I think that there couldn't be a better time for Louisville to have that continuity um, because, you know, think about all, all the, the teams that lost their coaches this season. You have a group of players that have even gotten to, if they have, if they have met their coaches in person, it's been very limited interaction. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, basically they went into spring ball. Um, even if they did go on a spring ball, maybe had a few meetings or something, something of that nature, but they haven't gotten to actually work one-on-one um, face-to-face with their coaches at all. So, um, for Louisville to have pretty much the the entirety of, of their staff, especially on defense where they struggle the most, to have them coming back um, to me is is huge. Do you have anything to add to that, Dalton? Uh, uh, DJ, I think you can probably attest to this. I kind of want to pick your brain on it. You know, when it, it seems like continuity is one thing, and that's great, but it also seems like you know the the brand and the the relationships that. Satterfield and company are trying to build seem to be not not necessarily going through the motions like it it did in Petrino 2.0 it actually seems like these coaches care and you know these coaches are very personable they're very active on Twitter you know they're they're relatable they're likable guys not only Satterfield but Dwayne Ledford Brian Brown Shadon Mm -hmm. Brown I mean going down the list the Gunter Brewer I mean these guys want to not only be your coach but be kind of like a relative in a sense and be able to not only talk football but be like family to you. And I think, you know, uh, not necessarily a college athlete, but even like going back to high school athletics, you know, I, I had three, three coaches in four years. And the last one really tried to, you know, leave that mark of a family feeling. And I felt we got more done. And you feel like players want to play for coaches that give a damn about them. Right. I agree. Um, completely agree. I mean, I still text Coach Johnson to this day. Like I texted him when this quarantine first started and I texted him in the middle of it. I mean, one, uh, one of my Juco coaches, Two of them I still talk to to this day, um, because when you when you make it more about just the results, you'll be able to get more out of the athlete. I mean, granted, some sometimes, I mean, I, I haven't seen it when it works, when it's the opposite way. Most time, I mean, back in the day it worked, but nowadays athletes have they're more self aware, more aware of what's going on around them. Um, they want a relationship with their coach, and they, they want to feel genuine. Um, so that's how you're able to get players that go. Um, you know, hard to the wall, making doing everything that they got to do for their coach. Um, so yeah, I mean, I agree. Like when, when again, when me, when I felt like Coach Johnson was truly one of the best for me, that's when I started like giving up, giving my best. I mean, just just being honest. Uh, so the fact that they now have a coach that didn't, I mean, that they had a coach that does that now versus the coach that they had before that didn't do any of that. That's only gonna make them go even harder. I mean, you saw when they got their first win, they threw like a, they threw a Gatorade bath on a, a, a on Scott <laughs> Field, you know. So like that just goes to show you like how much they care for Scott, how much they truly love playing for him. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about enjoying what you're doing. And then like as long as majority enjoy what they're doing and enjoy the code, you know, it's gonna always be some bad apples that don't. Yeah, like of course. It, it, it happens. Like not everybody's gonna like everybody, but. At the end of the day, the majority of the room, it seems like there is a good bond that they're building. And at the end of the day, that's that's how you get the best out of these athletes. Yeah, one thing that really stuck out to me, um, and it was kind of small, but it definitely resonated, on that Louisville football, um, the hype video pregame, 
you know, when Satterfield said, uh, you didn't pick me, I picked you guys. Like, right. that, I think that, that just kind of, you know, epitomizes the, the, the whole vibe around this. It's like, you know, you guys were two and 10, but yet, you know, I came here in a hurry to coach you guys. And that just shows you just how much, you know, and it also goes to show like Appalachian state people, they love Scott Satterfield. You know, usually when a coach leaves, it's like, Oh, you know, the slander begins, but I have not seen one person, one person in the Appalachian state community, which I mean, let's be honest, there's probably not that many, but any, I mean, I haven't seen any bashing and that's crazy. I mean, you don't see a lot of bad reviews on this guy. Right. I agree. I I mean, so, so one place where we can all agree, I think, that it's great that we do have some coaching continuity, too, is the basketball team. Smooth transition right there. So what I kind of want to ask you guys about, the way that the season ended was super awkward because I think that we had a season where people felt like there was a lot of potential going into the tournament, regardless of the way that, that some things fell. I, felt, I feel like a lot of people still saw Louisville as a potential Final Four team. I know that it was a little bit of a longer shot than maybe we thought going into the season. Maybe mm-hmm. didn't live up to the hype, uh, so, so to speak, for for you know for some of the fan base. Um, but regardless, um, now that we're seeing some of this notifi- notice of allegation stuff come down, which means that the ball is finally getting rolling, we're finally not going to have this black cloud o- over our head for the for the program. Um, but I, I kind of want to know your all's opinion as far as through the first two years, you have one year where I thought that Louisville overachieved a little bit, um, you know, securing securing an eight seed in, in, in the tournament um, and ultimately, you know, obviously ended with a sour taste in her mouth, but overall had a pretty good season, sprung a few good upsets. And then in year two, kind of just kind of hanging on by a thread between, you know, living up to what the expectation expectation was versus maybe, you know, warranting a little bit more criticism um, but in your all's opinion, um, number one, is it fair to grade Chris Mack through two years, given what is is hanging over the program as far as notice, notice of allegations, uncertainty about the future of the program, given that there's been two serious two serious violations, and num- number two, is is it is it con- is it fair to kind of judge? Should should we be judging him through a different lens than a lot of people are? Um, or, or is it fair to be kind of critical of the way that things went down in year two? Uh, I mean, I think you could do both. Uh, can you, can you criticize him for, uh, you know, some of the things that, you know, you would criticize other coaches for, of course, but can you also realize that, you know, um, he does get a little bit of a leeway because of, you know, the, the black cloud forming over Louisville? Of course, I think both, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think, you know, both can be true at the same time. The reality is, I mean, However you want to spin it, you know, Louisville does have, you know, possible sanctions on the way, but more than likely, I'm, you know, we'll see the end result. But, you know, th- this has been really over the cards since 2016 and really, you know, vamping up in the fall of 2017. But I think you're right. I, I think we should be able to criticize him like we would any other coach when a team doesn't win a game when it's X's and O's. But when you look big picture, you know, I think you do have to keep in mind that, you know, he isn't working with a full deck. You know, Alan mentioned in our uh, Big Red Louie uh, Slack chat that, you know, you, you can't really uh, – the, the ship, the verdict is still out on Mac because it's way too early. You know, even if there was a postseason ban to come, he still gets another year. I don't think, you know, we're trying to um, – you know, debate on the grounds of whether Max fit for the Louisville job because you see other coaches in NCAA. It took Jay Wright a long time to win at Villanova. You know, it, it, it took time for other coaches to, you know, break through. When Louisville, when uh, Chris Mack finds his niche, I think, you know, it's a different story. Uh, but the, the recruiting misses of the 2020 class, I think, is where a lot of the concerns lie. You know, I think, you know, we can look past some of the X's and O's problems from this past season because maybe you could spin it as a personnel problem but um, when you look at the the recruiting misses of this past class which was absolutely and historical in terms of missing miss like on the top 15 prospects that we had um, it kind of raises a question but um, I kind of want to look at the 2021 class and really before we you know make a judgment I think it's just way too early at this point if you had to put a percentage on um, how much the NCAA sanctions potential sanctions affect uh affected recruiting in 2020 
How, what, what percentage would you put on that? Probably about 30%. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, um, here's the thing. You know, I, I believe that um, yeah, it, it does hold some weight. And, you know, negative recruiting is a thing. So, you know, anybody considering Louisville definitely uh, has maybe a sour taste in their mouth when all they hear from other coaches, of course, you know, in regards to Louisville is, you know, the, the hammer that's eventual to come down. I do believe, you know, that plays a factor in it. But, um, you know, there's also stories of some, of some other things like uh, Chris Mack's promises to the players and, you know, how visits are going. It doesn't seem like the visits are going well at all, despite having top-notch facilities. And, um, you know, there, there's also we could talk about the, uh, the the shoe, the shoe game as well and how Nike seems to operate. So I think, you know, it's a smorgasbord and slew of um, of reasons. The FBI reason, it, it's a good one. It's very valid. But um, I think it's a bit lazy when we when we put it all on the FBI, because there's definitely some other factors going in. There's been some top guys that have almost been ready to commit to Louisville. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're not even in the picture with them anymore. And, you know, the FBI picture is made known to recruits right off the bat. So it's a part of it. It's just not the underlying reason why we've been missing so much. Yeah, I think the um, FBI situation I mean, has been hanging over, but it was hanging over our head when we had a top 10 class in 2019. Right. Not, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was hanging over our head then. So, like, we can't use that as a crutch. I mean, we still had a top 10 class then. Um, I mean, so, and going back to just the the fairness and – I mean, I think it's fair. I mean, once you take a job at this level, it is what it is. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, yes, we can put things in the context, but at the end of the day, it's a, I mean, sports, it's about wins and Ws. And, I mean, he's done a, he's done a good amount of winning. I was more impressed with his first year more than his second year because his second year seemed like – like we were just uh, yearning for a little bit more. Um, I think if we don't lose to Clemson and Georgia Tech or we split those games, I think – I don't know. I, I feel like that changes a lot. I feel like if Jordan Ward doesn't go – has a terrible game. Missing. Yeah, you know, he doesn't go missing. <laughs> and I feel like the whole perception of the season for him changes. Maybe he's ACC player of the year. Maybe Like that week was a very, very weird week. Cause it completely changed everything. Changed the narrative around Louisville. Changed oh yeah. The narrative around Jordan War. When he went from being like a like a for sure first round pick, might not have been lottery, but sure for sure first round to maybe second round to now not going to even be in the contentions for ACC Player of the Year. To Louisville is Louisville even a Final Four contender. Then moves to Clemson. Chris Mack benches uh Jordan War, and now it's just it's just a slew of a whole bunch of bickering between you know you got fans saying. Jordan stinks. Then you got people saying Chris Mack stinks. Like it, that was that was a very weird two week situation. Um, but I was more impressed with his first year because, I mean, he didn't really have. Let's be honest, he, like, he had a lot more unknowns that year. And he was able to take him to the NCAA tournament, and the fact that he's even able to get them to eighth seed when people thought they were gonna miss meant a lot. The fact that with, with Louisville, he had a chance to win the ACC. All he do is beat Florida State. They were up at half, and then and then boom, they folded, they choked, they blew it, and then that was that. Um, so I was kind of yearning for a little bit more, uh, fair or not fair. It is what it is when you take a job like this that people are gonna have high expectations regardless of the the circumstance. I mean, it just, it's, and especially when you have a rival like UK who's year in year out, no matter what, consistently uh, in the quote unquote contention regardless of what. Oh, they're, yeah. Is and you know they they're overturning their roster every single year, so it's just it is what it is. When you take a job like this, when you got Duke in your your conference along with Virginia, who just won a Natty with UNC. I think we've had like in the past what like six years we've had like three different ACC teams. Duke in 2015, North Carolina in 2017, and Virginia in 2019. Exactly. So, like, 2021 could bear, could bode a lot of fruit for one of us. Exactly. Hopefully. So it's like a, like. It is what it is. Like, you take a big boy job like this. Like, see, Louisville basketball and Louisville football are in two different, you know, spheres. Yeah, like, in yeah. Louisville basketball, we look at it like the way we look at UK. Like, we should be elite, too, just because they're elite. Louisville football is more like, if we can just be consistently be good and continue to grow, then we can see what things hold up, hold for down the line. Maybe it could be like another Clemson. But Louisville basketball, it is what it is. Like, we expect to compete year in, year out. So... 
for this past season, if I would give him a grade, um, year one, I'll give him like a I'll give him like a B plus. Year two, I'll give him like a, a B minus. Because at the end of the day, we saw Final Four and the fact that going coming up on the NCAA tournament, we thought Final Four was a long shot, which was extremely disappointing that we had got to that point when the hype was Final Four. Not from just us, but the Louisville, national national media, ACC, and everybody was thinking, oh, yeah, this can be a Final Four team. So uh, my last question regarding basketball for you guys would just be this then. Going into next season, um, what what's going to warrant that A? You know, we're talking about Max first year, not quite an A. Second year, probably like that C, B minus. Given given what he had at hand, what he had on hand, kind of knowing the program and everything and his experience. So this year he loses almost everything. Um, but there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of unknown talent. A lot of uh, you know a lot of development that could have been going on behind the scenes from players that that we didn't get a chance to see very much. So what what warrants an A in 2020 2021? Um, and you don't have to put a, a, a win percentage or anything like that on, on, on it, but um, should, I, I believe that the expectation should definitely be to make the tournament. Um, For sure. If you're, you, you, can't, you can't be the coach of Louisville and have the expectation be to make the tournament, or you won't last right. long. Right. It's not gonna, I think it's got to be uh, – you, you might be able to think it's a, a little rich. I think a lead eight or bust has to kind of be the mindset. And, and because, you know, we look at Louisville is not, you know – a Cincinnati or a Virginia Tech or something, you know, tournament tournament appearances are great, but let's be honest. I mean, 2015, from 2011 to 2015, you know, we were always in the hunt, maybe not 2011, but 2012 to 16, we were, you know, poised to make a run. We won a national title and made a a pair of final fours. So, you know, when I think of, what, what's the expectation for Louisville? It's got the only way Chris Mack gets an A is if he, you know, he delivers, you know, that yeah. doesn't mean he has to win a national title because, you know, only one team does that. But mm-hmm. making an Elite Eight, you can't tell me, you know, being one of the best eight teams at the end of the year can be out of the picture for Mac. But the thing about it is, you know, a lot of people will, will try to spin it like, oh, Mac just didn't have the roster. Well, that's his own damn fault. I mean, right. he missed on his top 15 guys. And it's not like all of them got stolen away by Nike. I mean, there are a ton of guys. There was a top 25 guy that he almost refused to recruit that basically begged us to in Adam Miller. And um, essentially, you know, we look at it now like, um, okay, well, Jay Scrub is going to the league. Whether that was a good decision or not, you know, we're left standing at the altar with DeAndre Davis and J.J. Trainer, two guys that aren't even in the top 100 in the class. And, you know, we're banking on them being diamonds in the rough while we banked on, you know, as good as that 2019 class was for those guys, we're hoping that our diamond in the rough. Outside of DJ and Sam, which I think, you know, will definitely be very successful here. You know, uh, Quinn Slazinski, Josh Nickelberry, Aiden Agayon, guys that did not see really any significant minutes throughout the season. Uh, hell, Jalen Withers transferred, or not transferred, but redshirted. So, mm-hmm. and he's supposed to make a jump, but, you know, we're relying a lot on the sophomore six to all make respective jumps. Malik Williams has to be the rock. It does, you know put a little bit of a plug in, you know, the boat sinking with, you know, Carly Jones and Charles Menlin coming because I think that's two great additions in the grad transfer market. But mm-hmm. let's be honest. I mean, as, as much as you want to pump sunshine into that, it's because we historically missed on almost every single prospect. And I don't think I've ever seen a program do that. And even the, even the like Kansas just now, five level one allegations. I mean, that is big time. They just got a top 35 player. So, I mean, it, it, as much as people want to try to pump this uh, FBI stuff down the throat as being like the main, um, the main villain, it, it, it's not. Well, let's just kind of uh, open that Band-Aid and deal with it. But, well, I'm, you know, I just want to kind of say that Elite Eight's got to be the uh, – I guess it would be a little bit uh, more understanding if we had a very successful regular season and we got beat by, you know, a giant killer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we kind of snuck into the tournament with like, you know, double-digit losses – um, a sub six seed and you know flamed out in the round of 32 yeah that's not okay this is Louisville this isn't Cincinnati this isn't Memphis this isn't LSU this isn't this isn't even Florida State I mean this is a program that's supposed to be a blue blood without being a blue blood you can't be a, be a blue blood and expect you know to make the tournament 
or be have that be your gauge. You have to, you know, aim for the stars because let's be honest, that's our history. I mean, cause, and the piggyback of what he's saying, because if you if just making a tournament is good enough, you know who you become? Indiana. Simple like that. You become. <laughs> this isn't the job for you. If 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 we're making if making the tournament is our gauge, I'm sorry, but we need a new coach because this is not the job. Exactly. I mean, this isn't Xavier. Like the like, let's just be honest. The the class, the Super Six class, was so underwhelming. Like they were they were propped up to be. It was, like, quality, it was quantity over quality. Right, right, right. They they we, we were making it like we thought we could make a Final Four run because we were bringing back most of our roster from 2018-2019, and we were adding the Super Six, like almost like a Duke or like a Kentucky, where like they have <laughs> veterans, and you add in an elite recruiting class, and then it was just like, eh, you know, like David Johnson showed flashes, Sam showed flashes early, then fizzled out. Uh, I mean, and, you know, everybody else just didn't didn't play. I mean, I mean, Aiden, I mean, you guys know how I feel about Aiden. I mean, I mean, he I... He wasn't I, even, he, according to some insiders, you know, he wasn't even good enough to put on the floor as a depth piece. Right, right. I mean, and, and when he came in the game, you you saw why he wasn't playing like that. Um, so, we're going to, for for me, we need to, I won't go Elite 8, I'll go Sweet 16. So, I'll go Sweet 16. If you get Sweet 16, that would mean that Chris Mack got two NCAA wins um, in one playoff run, which... I mean, at the end of the day, I won't complain about that because right now he has zero at Louisville. He has zero, yeah. um, and so if he can get the Sweet Sixteen, I would I would call that a B plus. An A, I will say elite. It got to be elite A. Simple like that, um, because this class is still considered air quotes a top ten class. At the end of the day, it's still considered a top ten class. Because let 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 us put the shoe on somebody else's foot. If we gave that recruiting class to Coach K. Or that recruiting class to Calipari? Oh, they would be furious. You know what I'm saying? Like, it'll be a different perception. It'll be a different expectation. But it's almost like we're lowering the bar because, let's be honest, we haven't seen what Chris Mack can really do when it comes to this type of recruiting class. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, granted, he had a good recruiting class in Xavier, but that's Xavier. This is Louisville, Blue Blood. Down the hour away, you got UK. Simple like that. And then within the ACC, you got Duke. You got UNC, you got Virginia. Virginia was one game off from Louisville, and they lost almost everybody. And they were mm-hmm. one game off from Louisville in the win column, in the loss column. One and game. Their, off. their recruiting class was pretty. And that's the thing, you know. Just, just to kind of add on real quick, not to steal your thunder, but let's be real. You know, people people love to say, "Oh, well, wait till Chris Mack, you know, develops the talent like yeah. uh, Tony Bennett and Rick Pitino." I'm like, "Hello, those two guys are future Hall of Famers." Tony Bennett's one of the top five coaches in America right now, respectively. Rick Patino is a Hall of Famer known for developing talent. We haven't seen that from Chris Mack. So I, I, I can't stand, you know, little fans jumping the gun like, oh, you got to give these freshmen some time. The reality is we had one freshman inside the top 50 in the class. Now, I know David Johnson was a diamond in the rough, but the other four guys were not even close to playing significant minutes. Yeah. Well, two guys that don't mince words whatsoever when it comes to college basketball. I love to hear it. It's a great segment. I want to get you all out, out of here on this. Heard this. I'm going to steal this from uh, ESPN show I was watching this morning. Somebody said they were watching a Back to the Future marathon. I don't know if you guys have seen Back to the Future, uh, but if you could hop in a DeLorean right now and go back to a time before, uh, before we were all locked down, uh, to any point in your life, what year are you going back to and why? Oh, man, just for the sake of this podcast, put me for like January 3rd, 2013 to like April or like June 1st when we add to the College World Series and just put that on loop. I mean, going from winning the Sugar Bowl to a national title in basketball, a runner up in women's basketball, beating Baylor and Brittany Griner and company and then the baseball team going and making, you know, the College World Series. I mean, it was a good time in Louisville athletics. And, you know, it was truly the year of the Cardinal. And, you know, if I could, you know, go back to relive it i wouldn't really change anything just experience it again dj um from a louisville standpoint it would probably be uh 2016 like i think august when i first got there and that's when we had lamar win the heisman that football season outside of like towards the end those games were so magical so yes 
that was like because like Louisville was such a dominating like people forget how dominating that team was how like they could flip a switch and beat you by 30 40 and that would be that um but and then for my personal life uh probably take me back to um yep take me back a couple weeks ago when we the Miami Dolphin drafted Tua Tonga Valoa <laughs> I can sleep on that again. That was the best feeling I had in, in months. That, hey, man, when, when Tua went MVP 2021 or 2022, y'all know where to find me. I'm rocking my jersey. <laughs> yeah, we got Justin how, Herbert, bro. I'm how hard were you sweating? Bro, how hard were you sweating before they drafted him? I was sweating so hard. Like, like I'm not going to lie to you, like an hour before, like I went up to my girl and like she was on the couch, and like I sat down on the couch, I laid on her shoulder. I can't read a report saying Justin Herbert. I was like, going. no, <laughs> don't do it. Oh, I don't do it. Justin <laughs> Herbert. And I explained it. I was like, like Justin Herbert's good, but like he's all right. Man, yeah, I about to cry. We we special. took him over Isaiah Simmons, and I just wanted to cry. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, and he might be good. Like I'm he not gonna might. say good. He won't be good, but like sometimes you just can't overthink it. Right, like, for real. Like with Lamar in college. Yeah, he's not going to be Tua. You're right. You know what I'm saying? And if if Tua flames out, it is what it is. But, like. I think if he flames out, it's because because of injury concerns. I think all the talent's there. He's just too smart and too talented to flame. Exactly. Like we did it with Deshaun Watson. Right. (laughs) We did it with Lamar. Just overthinking the room. Just take the guy that stood out on tape. Right. Week, Week out. Just stood out on tape. That was the reason why they were winning. Like. And 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 I, I watched enough of Justin Herbert in college. He was good. He wasn't the reason why they were consistently winning. Watch right. them not like really drop off too much this year. I mean Alabama not gonna drop off because they're just Alabama, but you know, watch them not drop off too much because they, there's a lot of good pieces around him. So yeah. Right. If it's me and I'm going back in a time machine, I'm picking like 2013, 2014. As far as the Louisville stuff goes, I mean, there wasn't a better time in the history of the University of Louisville to be a Louisville fan. I was there at the Sugar Bowl. I was at the National Championship game. I was at the College World Series. Like, that was a a run that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. In addition, I was playing golf in college. I was, like, 20, 21, you know, that time when you, you know, in your life where you can start drinking, but you don't have to worry about working out. You're still going to be in good shape and not feel like crap all the time. Like, people don't tell you how good it is to be, like, college age, like, 18 to 22, you know, just, like, you just, you just feel good. Like, you just wake up and get out of bed, and you just feel good all the time. It doesn't matter what 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 the, your, your day before looked like. Like, right. it's just a good time to be alive. So that would be it for me. But that's going to do it for now. Thank you guys for hanging on for a little bit longer than we anticipated. Great conversation. Until next time, uh, thank you for tuning in to the Big Red Elite Podcast.